Welcome to the next episode of Podcast Payoffs. My name is Gord Vickman, here as always with my podcast partner, Dan Sullivan, and a very special episode today. A man, the man, the myth, the legend, you've heard his name (laughs) multiple times here on Podcast Payoffs. He is our inimitable audio engineer here at Strategic Coach for multiple decades now. His name is Willard Bond. Dan, welcome. Willard, welcome. I'm uh, really happy where this is about to go. Hey, everybody. Yeah, well, Willard and I started in 1995. We were in a studio, for those who know Toronto, is on the Danforth. Was it called Crunch then? Were they Crunch then? Uh, New Sound Productions. New Sound Productions, yeah. Yeah. I was doing my first real big audio product, which was called the 21st Century Agent. I can remember that the question was with when you started recording Dan in those days, were we going to get at least 15 minutes in before Dan's throat froze up? <laughs> Willard, with very few pauses, sometimes we did some work in Chicago, but I would say going back 27 years, virtually all the audio work that I've done that really became a product that got packaged as a product, it's, we're on the team together. We've been on the team together. Yeah, indeed. I recall, I think it was 2000 that I took a six-month sabbatical and went down to New York and did some kung fu training back in those days. But yeah, since then, I barely missed a day with you, or aside from that, yeah. 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 Talk about those early days, the earliest days. Well, we're talking about tape days. We're talking about... (laughs) Wax pens and uh, (laughs) tape. We're talking about reel-to-reel in those days, converted over to cassettes, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, and the editing job, I mean, it must seem like a dream world to you today, the kind of editing that you can do and the speed that you can do it, but it was a real chore. You had razor blades and you had tape to put two pieces of tape together and you had to do a clean cut and everything. So, you know, I don't even know the history before we started working together. So we started in 95 and we were, you know, we were year six of coach and we were getting a name for ourselves. But the product that we did really put us on the map as far as a dedicated industry, the financial services industry. And I still have people today who will join the program and they've got a copy of, you know, the big plastic case that all the cassettes came in and the book that came with it and everything else. And they said, you know, this totally transformed my life when I got it in the 1990s. Yeah, we've really covered the spectrum of the technology. Like you said, reel-to-reel tape was certainly a mainstay in the early days. I think just when I started with you, I saw some of your reels, but I think we had just moved over to doing it all digitally then. And certainly, you know, the time it takes to mark the tape and to cut both ends of the tape and then to join them both back together and to listen. And, oh, I took off a little bit too much. I have to take out another half a centimeter and put it back. I mean, I, I knew that digital was coming in those days, and I knew that every razor blade cut that I took that took a minute and a half each was going to take about three and a half seconds once it landed and of course here we are today Mm -hmm. and the cool thing that I've noticed too is in the early days there weren't many processors that we could use so I couldn't control the sound as much because there weren't the plugins they hadn't developed the real-time technology to tweak some of these and the things that we can do now compared to what I mean even in the last two or three or five years the technological advances the repair work that we can do the things that uh, just snap a button and it cleans everything up instead of going yes it it's been quite the generation or two of technology that we've witnessed in our time together 
Yeah. Well, I'm from a little bit of a different generation than you in terms of my audio career. I grew up in digital. I don't know how you guys didn't use those razor blades on your own wrists. <laughs> oh, there was, there was <laughs> temptation. Like, like, <laughs> honest to God, with those wax pens. Yeah. And that, I'm just like, holy smokes. What you guys went through back then. Yeah, but you didn't think about it because it was you had nothing to compare it with. It was Right, right. You know, yeah. I mean, in the old days, you were doing it on wax. You know, you were doing it on... Pieces of wire, yeah. Yeah, okay, and record. I mean, I was in studios long before that, almost 20. I remember my last three months at BBDO, I was a copywriter for the ad agency, and I had one last big job, and it was for Magnavox. Magnavox created stereo sets. Both of you would be interested in that. And I did interviews in Montreal and in Toronto, and I did two testimonials by famous people. And actually, I did both of them. I did both of them in Montreal. And I had Henri Richard was one of them. He was one of the... The rocket. No, this is the younger brother. This is the pocket rocket. He was the younger... Pocket rocket. (laughs) He was the pocket rocket. Before my time, too. No, who is it? It wasn't Henri Richard. It was the younger brother. Anyway... He was doing it, and he was short. I mean, he was shorter than I was, but he was all muscle and everything else. And they did it in French. You know, it was the French version, so he did that. And then I had Hank Aaron. Montreal had the baseball team then, and so Hank, on one of the visits by the Braves into Montreal, we had Hank Aaron, and also quite short, you know, not much taller, but just total muscle and a very nice person. You know, it's really interesting to do that. And then I did interviews with all the top CFRB spokes. CFRB was really the powerhouse in Canada for AM radio back then. You know, Gordon Sinclair, Betty Kennedy, there were a lot of very famous people back then. And I did interviews with them, and then they would do testimonial interviews for their own station, for their own shows. And anyway, so I was backstage and I, I can guarantee you and it was real to real back then right and they were happy to have it you know <laughs> I mean, they were happy to have it he was the pocket rocket maurice maurice michard yeah maurice was the rocket i asked the oracle here i <laughs> yeah. I, I deked out momentarily and i consulted the oracle and maurice yeah. was the rocket henry henry yeah henry yeah. was the pocket rocket yeah, yeah. yeah and fun. i kind of grew up with them because I grew up near Cleveland, and Cleveland had a American Hockey League team, the Barons, and they were the farm club for the Montreal Canadiens. So Henri Richard played there, Johnny Bauer, who was a very, very famous goalie, Johnny Bauer. A lot of the Montreal Canadiens of the 60s and 70s were in part of the Cleveland Barons. It's a good name. They were legit NHL. The Cleveland Barons were a legit NHL team for a very short time. Yeah. Yeah. Not long. (laughs) Not long. I think it was three years. 1976 to 1978. So two years. Cleveland Barons were an actually legit Mm. NHL team. Yeah. Yeah. So, Willard, we brought you on here because, you know, we've been talking about having you on for a really long time. And one of the things that I thought would be interesting is like, Let's do a little walkthrough of what the podcast process at Coach looks like, because I think a lot of people are curious about that. We have a lot of clients. We have a lot of associate coaches. We have a lot of people who are involved, you know, just in the atmosphere to know what goes on to 
pump out, you know, the podcasts that we do. So all the boring stuff, booking Dan, that happens with the executive assistants. And then we get Dan and his partners booked and whatever. And then we come down into the studio. This is pre-COVID times. And we're going to go back there, I hope, because we have a gorgeous studio that I'm currently sitting in right now. In the basement, this studio puts most radio stations to shame. This was a post-production house. So the final sound work for the movie business in Toronto, and it goes up and down with, actually goes up and down with the dollar. We're sitting, you know, at pretty well a historic level, the Canadian dollar, you get dollar 26 American for it. And then Hollywood and the TV industry in New York sends their post-production work, some of it, to Toronto. And when the Canadian dollar gets stronger against American dollar, the industry here collapses. Mm-hmm. So, will it walk us through your setup here. Without getting too deep into the, the nerdy audio stuff, because you and I are both audio professionals. We can nerd out about this forever and ever till the sun burns out. But walk us through your process for the recording process for people who are curious, because I know there are people who are curious about this because I've been asked this a dozen times and now we can finally share how you go about structuring the studio to make sure Dan and the partner sound great. Excellent point about not wanting to geek out. So I'll do my best not to go down any rabbit holes, but essentially the first thing I need to do, the the most important thing is to show up early and make sure the tech is working. (laughs) Everything has to be working fine because the last thing we can afford is to have somebody or several people on the other end who have exactly 60 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever the time is, we have to be singing for them. So make sure all the tech is working. And that includes Dan's position in the room with a microphone in the right place and the lighting and all that sort of stuff. So he feels comfortable. Get the software up and running, everything all ready to record. So it's just a matter of hit play and record and it's off to the races. When Dan gets there, we like to do a positive focus, get him in the good mood for it. And actually, I'll give you a little pro tip for you. Ask any singing teacher what you should do for your voice, and they will tell you lip trills. So I'll exaggerate a bit here. So we want to get you sort of out of your throat. You know what I mean? Talking get back your to voice you. into your mouth and away from we your want, throat. Yeah. Exactly. Get your voice out of your mouth. And the best way to do that is called lip trills, and that is... So you make that motor sound with your lips, and then you sing a up and down the range of your voice at the same time, and that will bring the sound of your voice out to the what they call your mask. So now Dan's got his voice out front, sounding good, but a uh, touch of opera quality going on there, which, you know, may <laughs> monster truck talking. You get to get the voice the way you like it, but at least that way you've got a nice, your throat is opened up and you're feeling good. And from there, it is hit play and record and get out of the way and let Dan do his thing and be as transparent as possible. And then when the recording's finished, I hit stop. I check the file worked okay so that, well, fortunately, it always has. We've never had too many problems. And by the way, I always have a a backup recorder because the hard drive has stopped or the power can go out. So I always have something to keep recording. And that's the end of the actual capture, the recording process. And from there, I take it home, open it up, or I often work at home because... We all do. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? What a coinky-dink. We all do. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. I'm uh, able to bring this into my home studio, open it up, and go to work editing. And that's as an entire can of worms. Maybe we can do a podcast about how to edit and work on your audio if that interests the folks. Mm -hmm. And then delivering, making sure everything's the right volume and not too much bass or too much treble so that the tone of the 
presentation is uniform and the volume is the same ideally from one to the next. If you listen to all our podcasts, you don't have to turn your volume way up or way down. And in a nutshell, that's exactly what I do here. You know, looking back and comparing, I think that the general tenor of what we're doing with recordings now is much more conversational and less formal. You know, I started in 1995. I think that the internet has obviously changed this, that there's an informality about it. The interesting thing about it is that I started off where I was reading word for word from prepared text. I don't think I'm particularly good at that. And I find it stressful. I find it very, very stressful just sitting there and reading what's actually written in the book. So for all the smaller books that we do, this one right here, we don't actually have a audio that is the text of the book. But what we have is my partner, one of my podcast partners, Shannon Waller, who's a 30-year veteran of Strategic Coach, and she knows the entire culture of Strategic Coach. She knows the entire intellectual capital of Strategic Coach. And she'll just go through the actual structure of the book and just ask me questions, key questions about it. And then we create almost another dimension to the book where we add new ideas, things that we hadn't even thought about when we first created the book. We start the book off with an interview with her. So I did two interviews this morning with her, and these will be the next book, which is coming out. And then we do that in the morning. We try to do that in the morning. It takes about, what would you say, Willard, maybe two and a half hours? Yep. Something like that on average. Yep. Start to finish, we'll do the entire book and it ends up with, you know, pretty much that amount of actual audio. And then in the afternoon, we do a video, which is about 40 to 45 minutes. It's really good because I'm all warmed up from the morning and the video. You don't do two hours of video, but you do the highlights. And she picks up on things that were great about the morning, and then she puts the spotlight on them in the afternoon. But I find that I've gone more and more conversational as I go forward. The workshops are that way. They're not speeches. They're asking questions and uh, conversing. So I'm very much of a conversation discussion sort of person, not a such a formal speaker or giving a speech. Yeah, reading does feel a bit wooden. People know when they're being read to and when they're being spoken to, you know, off the cuff. And yeah, for sure. But even with Ben Hardy in our major market books, the Who Not How and the Gap and the Gain, he actually does read the actual text. But now we have a separate at the end of each chapter, he'll converse with me. Right, right. He's written a book of ideas that are actually strategic coach ideas. And so he's taken them and transformed them into a major market style that a lot of readers really like. But then we'll spend 10 minutes probably where he just asked me some additional questions and I just respond. It's very interesting, Penguin Random House, which is a really huge publisher, they pick up other people's ebooks and they picked up the ebook and the audio from the gap in the gain. And they picked it up in October and it was their number one ebook for the year out of about a thousand books. Right. So we were number one in their land. So I think that our approach is a good one that we're 
you give them the formal words, people can yeah. listen to the words, but you also give them additional value. Yeah, for sure. I think there is a place for reading a book. <laughs> That's kind of the point, especially when it's a memoir. You can't have the reader just making up his own version of it. But certainly the way that you do it, I think, is the best of both worlds. You get the specific text if you don't feel like reading the book, but you also get the expanded alternative perspectives and so on. I think it's a great combination there. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why people don't dive into that is because being rudderless is, for a lot of people, pretty terrifying. You know what I mean? Yeah. To just kind of dive in there and be like, okay, we're going to see what happens now. <laughs> yeah. Especially like I think a Colby, when it's like the Colby Quick Start, Colby program, we'll put the link in the show notes for this, but people who have the Quick Start personality don't really care about, I don't know, what is it like? reactions like we'll just kind of dive into yeah, it yeah i think everyone on this broadcast right now has a pretty high quick start dan being 10 i'm eight what are you willard eight no quick start seven you're a seven yeah. okay yeah it's still respectable uh, i think so yeah <laughs> there's, a, there's nothing a, that your mother should be ashamed of you know <laughs> you know i mean she i think so she gave you enough. She gave you enough to <laughs> make your way. We've been accused of having a bias towards the quick starts, but quick starts. No, <laughs> I disabuse people very quickly, and they try to make some connection between quick start and creativity. And I said, no, it's just a particular way of being creative. Yeah, yep. it's the speed of the. What would you say, Dan? Like the speed of the execution, or. No, um, I know fact finders who are creative. It's just that they have to prepare more for being creative, and then they're very creative. Quick starts generally are more improvisational. I think that they're more in the moment. But yeah, for sure. You know, but it also depends on whether you're smart or not. <laughs> A really, you know, low IQ quick start is <laughs> very, very boring. <laughs> or in jail. Yeah, a little dangerous, yeah. Stupid quick start is incarcerated. Yeah, or is roadkill, you know. So. Willard, before we encountered each other, what was the path? What was your capability path, craft path, before you joined New Sound? My first plan, I might have been headed to the military. I had some military family, and I had quite a strong interest, but my knees went bad, and I couldn't stay in athletics all through my teens. And so my brother said when he saw me pick up a, uh, a model of, <laughs> somewhat famously, he says, well, chicks don't dig guys that build models. You got to learn to play guitar. <laughs> so, uh, so I picked up guitar and I started writing songs and was in the, you know, the obligatory basement band playing with my friends. And then I discovered multi-track recording that we could start recording our own songs and overdubbing and doing all kinds of cool things like the Beatles did. And I was off to the races. I got myself a four-track recorder, and I had an eight-track reel-to-reel before I finished high school, which in those days was somewhat monumental, if I do say so, and I do apparently. So I was all over wanting to become a recording engineer and a self-producing, self-generating music machine with all the capability, kind of like, well, I'd I hate to say Frank Zappa because that's a little bit optimistic of me, but that kind of person mm -hmm. who's has the spectrum of the technology and the music and so on. So that's where I was headed. And then the studio that I was working in, I discovered that working 16 to 20 hours a day on somebody else's records, I didn't really want to make a record when I got home. So I ended up getting into just by luck and 
not so much guile, but certainly by luck and progress, was brought into doing post-production, doing audio for TV shows, commercials, movies, that sort of thing. Met some cool people doing that work. Then moved to Ottawa for a while doing that kind of work, came back to Toronto, and the people at New Sound needed somebody to take care of a new client they had called the Strategic Coach. Would I mind starting there? And yeah. the rest is history. Yeah. You can get really lost in it, oh, can't you? Yeah. I've spent... Well more than my 10,000 hours with audio in my life, farting around and editing. And I find sometimes when I was really deep into it in the early radio years, I would look up and I'm like, I'm going to starve to death yeah, if I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't eaten anything in 17 hours because I'm just into this so much. Yeah. But it's like anybody who can get into that flow state, if there's something that you really, truly enjoy that much that just engulfs you, yeah, right? Yeah. And you've, you've had those moments too, oh, yes. where I'm positive, where you just look up and you're like, I need to eat something because yep. I've been sitting here for 17 hours. <laughs> it's really enthralling. I don't know. It's just, if you got it, you got it. And I'm sure coders feel the same or people who do video editing, whatever your jam is, whatever your thing is, yep. if you can get to that point where you just never have to stand up, yeah, that's the neat thing. Well, and I teach this now to post-secondary. I, I teach at a school in Toronto called the Harris Institute and seeing the same look on their faces that they can't wait to get home and stay up all night tinkering on the, mm -hmm. the thing that I just, I guess my class is the most fun. I teach them how to use like the, the reverbs and echoes and the equalizers and compressors, all the, the sound modifying tools and toys. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's the most fun class for them, I think. And then I get to be the teacher for them. So that's extremely gratifying watching these not just light bulbs go off at fireworks when they realize they can do all these cool things so for sure yeah here's a you know for both of you because your careers have been right from the beginning associated with sound production radio and studio work there was a thought you know as the world became more video with television and then with the internet and having video, and I think probably YouTube and everything else. But my sense is that audio permanently holds its own against any other type of way people take in information. There is something more personal about audio than there is about video. We really pick up very, very keenly on the sound of a person's voice, and we instantly create a picture of who this person is and, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of person this is just by the sound of the voice. And I think there's something more fundamental about sound than there is of sight. I fully agree. And one of the areas that I noticed it is in like a film or a movie of some kind where the picture looks fantastic, but there's something wrong with the audio. It can be very distracting. Whereas we can be used to seeing vintage film, but we still need the audio to be high quality and to be transparent to us. The biggest example where I was aware of this in like a major motion picture film was a movie a few decades ago. Oh, never mind. Called uh, <laughs> You're dating yourself here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, the movie was called Sex Lies and Videotape. And every time the film cut, the sound changed. So they couldn't smooth it out to make you believe you're all in the same place. It was like every time the film cut, you would move to a different place in the room. To me, it was very distracting. Obviously, I'm a bit biased. But yes, we can forgive a lot more, I think, visually than we are willing to forgive with uh, auditory experience. Yeah, I'm reminded of a, it was a little... It didn't last for very long. It had a very short showing, but it was Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings. But he got a hold of the, I think it was the British Broadcasting Corporation had discovered just an incredible trove of 
quite, quite good film work from the First World War. Oh, They Shall Not Grow Old. They Shall Not Grow Old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had that sort of jerky motion of the 19-teens, 1920s. It was kind of like jerky motion, and it was without sound. And he took it, and he re-engineered all the film and put it into full color. At one point, he would start with the black and white scene, and then the film would just colorize in front of your eyes. But the other thing is he slowed down the motion so that it was normal motion. But the other thing was they got professional lip readers in, and you'd have a cafeteria full of British soldiers, and they were laughing and they were talking, and they got lip readers to actually interpret what all of them were saying, and then they got actors to actually lip sync. And you begin to realize that they were as normal a gathering as would happen to, uh, we have a war going on today in Ukraine, and it would just be as normal as what people are talking about on the battlefront anywhere in the world right now. They're just laughing and joking and fundamentally not talking about the thing that's going to kill them. Yeah, I saw that in 3D. There's a 3D version of it. It was just magical. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You just feel totally there with them. You just feel totally there because you can hear their voices. I mean, it's not even their voices and you can instantly get a feel for who the person is, not so much from what they look like, but from what they sound like. Yeah. Just scooping back to the intimacy of audio and to add further bricks onto the foundation of what you were saying, Dan, there was an experiment done, I think it was about six, seven years ago. So they put people in a room and they showed them a real crappy video that had amazing audio. The video sucked, but the audio was great. And they had to push a button when they had enough. They watched, on average, for 28 seconds, the amazing audio with crummy video. And then they flipped it around. They showed the same video with really crappy audio, but amazing high-quality video. And they said, push the button when you've had enough. And they lasted, on average, eight seconds. So people will watch a video that doesn't look very good but sounds great for, on average, 20 seconds longer than a video that looks great but sounds terrible. What you were saying, Dan, is so crystal clear. I think, you know, the old adage in radio is theater of the mind. You can say something and it creates an image in your mind. I'm going to do a little experiment right now. We'll do it with you and we'll do it with anyone who's listening to this podcast right now. Picture a fox. You can't not picture a fox. Everyone listening to this podcast right now just pictured a fox. You can't not picture a fox. Everyone had that vision in their mind. Everyone in their mind right now has a fox in their mind. Why did I say that? I don't know. I could have said anything. Exactly. And it's even if you say, don't picture a fox, you still get the fox. (laughs) Don't picture a fox (laughs) and you're still going to picture a fox. Picture a fox because that's the power and the intimacy of the human voice. And it comes along. We're talking tens of thousands of years of storytelling. That's how traditions were passed down. This is the intimacy of the human voice, and it's incredibly powerful. Theater of the mind. I can say anything right now. Picture a sailboat. You can't not picture a sailboat. Mm -hmm. But I can show you a sailboat, and you might ignore it. Maybe it's there, and maybe it's not. It is what it is. But 
Picture a fox. You can't not picture a fox. Don't picture a fox. <laughs> Everyone, this is the Fox radio show right now. But I'm just saying, like, that's the power of it. And that's why it's so great. That's why I was drawn to it, right? I loved storytelling. I listened to radio, talk radio as a young man growing up. My grandfather, Toby, was an amazing storyteller. And he was a hardworking guy. Greatest grandpa you could ever ask for. My grandma was a great storyteller. My mom and my dad, they're all wonderful storytellers. And there's an intimacy that comes yeah. to that. It's the oral tradition that I think, you know, we've lost a little bit. We've kind of gotten away from it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's like memory, what happened to memory when publishing came in, you know, in Gutenberg. People used to memorize the whole Bible, you know, they could give it to. And then when widespread printing came in, people lost their memories. And people said, well, it used to be better. Yeah, but... You lose something, you gain something, you know, and it's just a question of whether. But I think the digital world has allowed you to take advantage of a lot of different mediums. I mean, Collaboration Ground Rules, brand new quarterly book. Yeah. Available on strategiccoach.com. <laughs> this is one of our books, and we have four color printing in here. Do you know what this cost when I was in the advertising industry to do? First of all, just to get the artwork done. This artwork is put together in about 24 hours by a digital artist, you know, and he puts it together and I can sit there with him. I said, nah, I don't like that. Let's try a green there. I think a green goes better. He just instantly changes it. The type, how you can put the type together, you know, and then we add audio to it. We add video to it. So my sense, we're living in the golden age of being able to utilize almost all types of communication medium. So my sense is, do you have something to say? Do you have a message? And then you use whatever's available to get it across. You know, I think the power of communication media is an all time high, but there's a lot of people who just don't have anything to say, you know, and I think it angers us when we're overwhelmed with technological capability, but there's nothing there to say. You know, they're just really not saying anything. That's critical, Dan. And I think one of the reasons why so many podcasts are not successful, it has nothing to do with the gear. It has nothing to do with the editing. It has nothing to do with any of the outside things. It's just people are boring <laughs> <laughs> and they're not smart. I'm not saying I'm like uh, Galileo here, but I'm suggesting that when we have a conversation, there's at least some kind of nugget that you're going to pull out of this. You're going to get something out of it. We're not going to leave you hanging here. There's so many podcasts that are launched by people who are just stupid. I'm sorry. And they don't have anything to say. So their podcast tanks and they're blaming outside influences or, oh, this didn't work, this didn't work. Well, maybe you have nothing compelling to say. I, I think know. there was just as much stupidity in the old days that just didn't get recorded. <laughs> wasn't so easy to capture. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Tell me about yeah, your podcast in 1923. You know, I remember people will say, remember when people, you know, in the old days, family time, you'd sit around and you'd have really deep discussions at the dinner table? And I said, well, I did it for the first 18 years of my life, and I don't remember a single significant discussion <laughs> taking place at the dinner table. You know, it was, it was usually one sibling picking on another sibling. And, you know, I said, we romanticize the old days, you know. But the thing is that I think it's easier to develop your own 
dimension these days to you know develop your own vehicle and i think it's easier just to target who exactly you want so my sense if you have something that you really believe in you're very powerfully persuasive about what you believe in that my feeling is a lot easier to reach an audience global audience today than it's ever been before i think of podcasts in a sense parallel again in a certain sense with songs and what makes a great song well you know there's various elements there's the beat and the melody and the sonics of it and so on the instrumentation that is interesting or not so maybe a podcast where people are just talking doesn't have as many dimensions but it has to be as solid a story it has to be able to carry a listener yeah usually it has to have a story or it's got a lesson to yes, it yes absolutely you know? and part of what we're talking about here today is that you know as great as that song is if it sounds like it's being played through a kitchen sink or a bad telephone it's a little tough to listen to after 28 seconds so ideally not only do you want to have the great content but you as we've been discussing you want to have a reasonable handle on tech don't get lost down the tech rabbit hole but you're definitely going to be doing your listeners a favor and therefore make them want to listen longer if you give them something nice to listen to and also the one rule or one really strong point that i wanted to make sure i got across is do not take your listener out of their listening experience so if you're recording live and this is a live broadcast then you're kind of stuck with whoever just dropped the dishes in behind you you're stuck with certain noises but if it's a studio recording and you have control over let's do that moment again if you drop something then go back and say that line again because your listeners are now not listening to what you're saying. They're wondering what you dropped and is everybody okay and did it break and is it was it a green dish or a red dish? Like there's so many things that they can now get lost in that are not related to your podcast. So any noises that you can avoid making, clicking pens, shuffling papers even. And one last one for you is some people really don't like being coughed at. So if you're gonna if you're gonna cough and keep talking, that might sort of get in certain people's craws. So <clears throat> turn your head make a cough and then come back and pick up where you left off and nobody will be the wiser and everybody will be the happier. And whatever you do, don't have a cat anywhere near where you're filming. <laughs> <laughs> or a dog. If it barks, no, cats, they always come right across the screen and then turn their tail end and put their tail up. <laughs> I haven't seen a cat who hasn't done that yet when filming is taking place. Gotcha. Do not have a cat unless you want your cat to be featured do not have a cat in your viewing but you know it's an interesting thing just talking about experiences lockdown you know lockdown and so i was either here doing zoom for business or i was at home and i was listening to pandora and pandora is just marvelous i just really love pandora and i really got into dimension after dimension after dimension of country and western which i had not grown up really with country and western and i really went deep just one thought <laughs> the just really incredible voices you know oh, that yeah. uh, are there in the country yes. world but the other thing i was telling my workshops i said you know i've had a, a real deep dive into country and western and i said you know what it's told me is there's a difference between wailing and whining. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> what I notice is country and Western is all about wailing. It's wailing music, whereas modern pop music is whining music. And the difference is with country and Western songs, their life is a mess. Their life is a train wreck. But 
they take responsibility. They're the one that caused the train wreck. With modern pop music, it's whining that their life is a, a train wreck, but it's somebody else's fault. <laughs> That's the difference between wailing and whining. <laughs> uh, but it, the interesting thing is based on the voices. We're talking about audio. It's based on the voices. You know, just some remarkable songs, some remarkable songs, but just remarkable voices singing the songs. Yeah, for sure. I've been deeply, deeply impacted by this music. Wonderful. And you're right. I mean, listening to Churchill give his speeches, it sounds, you know, you're behind Churchill with that fog of voice and cigars and scotch. <laughs> yeah. I bought the Waylon Jennings box set in 1996 and listened Waylon to every Jennings. song 4,000 times. <laughs> yeah. Every song. Time to go back to Lookenbach, Texas, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like, yeah. Every song is a disaster and it's all his fault. <laughs> and he knows it. <laughs> Willard Bond, you're our audio engineer, and you are a critical piece to the podcast puzzle here. Thank you. And we're so thrilled that you could be with us on Podcast Payoffs. I think we should do this more often, actually. It was a real pleasure today, gentlemen. I didn't really know where this was going to go, but it went in a thousand directions that I think are going to be very interesting and compelling for those who are looking for some solutions to some audio issues and as well some teamwork issues as well so we hope you enjoyed it if you did share it with a friend and we hope you join us soon dan willard can't say enough it's been a pleasure thanks gord thank you gord.